Welcome to episode 26 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen with host Matt Payne. Uh, what a great guest I had this week, a buddy of mine from Ventura, California, Paul Rojas, who I've been following for a few years, but um, really didn't fully start to appreciate his work until um, he and I happened to be on the same uh, photography trip to Monument Valley back in May, which was just a blast. And I got to know Paul a little bit um, and his wife, Mish, and Oh, man, just he's an awesome, awesome guy, really smart, um, really fun to talk to. And so as soon as I met him, I was like, you got to be on my podcast, man. So we finally made it happen. So um, I think you guys are going to love this one. Paul is a really thoughtful guy. We had a little bit of uh, technical challenges. Uh, my Internet kept dropping. So um, but I don't think it's too noticeable, hopefully. <laughs> um, hey, uh, last week I launched a uh, new thing where you can, um, if you like the podcast, you can help support me financially, which would be super awesome. Um, I launched a Patreon site, um, which has some rewards uh, that you can uh get a part of if you're uh, a supporter of the podcast on Patreon. So uh, I'd love it if you support me there. And as always, uh, reach out to me on the social medias, uh, Matt Payne Photo and Matt Payne Photography. Dude, it's freaking awesome to have you on the podcast, know, finally. Yeah, it's about time. I mean, what's it been, since May that we've talked? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. well, I mean, I didn't even know you until we went to Hunts Mesa together. And I know, That was I an know. awesome trip. No, dude, that was, that was pretty damn sick. And I'm really glad I got to go and really got to thank Kane for that. I mean, shit, that was, that was probably one of the best trips this year. Yeah, it was good. It was one of the best trips I've done ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got for agree. photography. Yep, yep. For photography. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, maybe so. Shit, dude. It's like what one thirty in the morning where you're oh, at because you're in Japan. Yeah, I'm here for work right now, and so yeah, I had to kind of make it fit into schedule. But since you couldn't accommodate That's- me any other time, <laughs> oh, is that how it's gonna be? Uh, no, no. <laughs> I mean, you know. Uh, you know, you've asked me to be on here, and some other people have asked, so uh, it's good to be able to accommodate it. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to being on here, man. Cool, dude. So, for people that don't know who you are, like, tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, maybe end with um, just what kind of got you into landscape photography. Okay. Do you want the long story or the short story? Or I'll let you decide. All right, well, if you haven't been unfortunate enough to meet me, my name is Paul Rojas, and I, I guess you could call me a landscape photography enthusiast. I'm currently based out of uh, Southern California. I was born in California, but I grew up in the Philippines. And about how I got into photography, really, I got into photography when I joined the Navy way back in 2001. So. Um, before I joined the Navy, I was going, I was in the Philippines for college. And so when I joined, I was like, well, I got to get me a camera. I've always had a camera in some shape or form, mainly point and shoot. But yeah, when I got in the Navy, I got myself this little Sony 3.2 megapixel. And dude, it was like back then that was a shit. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I got it. And I remember sitting in my barracks room when I first got it. And I was like, let me see what this thing could do. So I turn off the light and then I put it on a self timer and it took a picture of me. And then I was like, look at this shit, man. It's like completely dark and it took a picture of me. Well, <laughs> it had a flash. <laughs> oh, well, so it has a flash. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of my introduction to photography right there. You know, just to show you how much I knew at that point. Because, you know, before that, it's all film and now I'm jumping into digital and I'm coming right. from. The Philippines, and now I'm in the middle of Virginia or something in the barracks. But you know, fast forward, um, I go on a deployment on a destroyer back in 2005, Western Pacific deployment, six months out. 
And when you've got six months at sea, you really have a lot of time to play with whatever it is you have because you don't really have much with you. You know what I mean? You read a bunch of books. Right. You watch too many movies and play too many video games. So I played with the manual settings that this camera had because, man, this thing was high-tech stuff back in 2005, you know, 3.2 megapixels. And yeah, and I remember we were in Brisbane, Australia, and I had uh, sentry duty over on the pier, and we had this epic sunset, and I tried taking a picture of the sunset, and I was like, oh, crap, this camera can actually do some stuff when I use it, you know, the manual settings and all that. So then I got really curious about what else the camera could do. And by the end of deployment, when it got back in 2006, I was convinced that, hey, I had to upgrade to something better. So then came the Rebel XT. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now we're going to do some damage. Now Now I can take pictures where the subject is in focus and the subject and the background is blurry. And oh my gosh. Yeah, now we can get some bokeh on there or however you pronounce it. But right. yeah, so, you know, I got that Rebel XT and that was really the start of it. And I really didn't know I wanted to shoot uh, landscapes or anything. Um, I had a buddy who got into photography also. And he was from New Jersey, New York area. So he really got into street photography. And he was like, yeah, dude, you really got to get into street photography. You know, you got to try shooting this stuff down here in downtown San Diego. So at the time, I'd just gotten out of the Navy. I think that was like 2007, 2008. And I got a job that was starting to send me here to Japan. So I, I tried my hand at street photography for a little bit. And I was like, yeah, this is cool. But then after a while, it's just like it was okay, but I got tired of it. It just wasn't really speaking to me. Right. So... Then I started getting around to mountain biking a lot more, and that's when I really got my introduction to landscapes because I I started taking my camera with me mountain biking and shooting in the landscapes, and I was like, why do I freaking suck? (laughs) (laughs) It's harder to shoot uh, landscapes than people sometimes and vice versa, depending on what you're comfortable with i feel like yeah and especially when you're in southern california you know the, the biking trails they're just kind of scrubby and hilly and there's really nothing to look at so <laughs> that's when i started getting into Flickr and looking at what people are doing and i'm like oh shit i really suck you know because <laughs> look at what these people oh. are doing they're doing some amazing stuff out there I still say that. <laughs> no, I do too, dude. Not about you, about myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I say that about myself all the time. But, yeah, so I got it. Which is ridiculous because your stuff is super good. Oh, man. You, you don't know how insecure I am and how much I hate uh, everything I take. But We all are. <laughs> I know. I think so. I don't know. I've, I think that's I just like something everyone... about Yep. I just, I feel like almost everyone is like, no, I'm not very good. And you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I know. <laughs> but then know. they say it about your stuff and you're like, no, 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 I'm not very good. Yeah, we all bash ourselves and everybody else is better than us. I don't know. Maybe that's <laughs> well, I feel what like, makes us photographers. Eh, I, I feel like it's healthy. If you, if you think you're a badass, yeah. Um, I got news for you. You're probably not. Yeah, honestly, that's the way it is. And that's how I see it as well. Like, if you get to the point that you're like, yeah, I really know what I'm doing, then that's probably... I'm the best ever. Yeah, you're the best ever. Then you probably don't know what you're doing. (laughs) Or, you know, you could could, uh, learn a lot more. Absolutely. Um, So then there was Flickr, right? Yeah. And, of course, you know, you go through the stages where what is it that everybody else is doing that I'm doing? And the answer was filters. You know, you got your Lee drop down. Dude, I I remember when I bought uh, my first DSLR. Yeah. Um, I had to pick up a Lee foundation kit with like yep, a big yep. stopper. Oh and yeah. I took it on a trip with me to Kauai, and uh-huh. I think I used that filter kit once, and then I sold it. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Oh man, like, you did a lot better than me. I used that thing for like 
a year or two. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, I think I short. I, it wasn't because I didn't like it. Is because I uh-huh. um, I upgraded to the fourteen to twenty four, which didn't. Oh, it didn't take, fit. Yeah, so I was like, well, I don't need this anymore, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but how are you going to get the nice magenta colors? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, now I just do all the magenta in post. Ah, uh, gotcha. I really <laughs> should do that a lot more. Oh, of course. Yeah, that would make <laughs> David Thompson really happy. Oh, yeah. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, David, man. And, you know, uh, yeah, after the filter thing... I really got to say that um, probably the two things that really had a great impact on my photography going forward from, you know, after the filters and the flicker and trying to figure things out was one, um, getting a Toyota 4Runner and two, uh, meeting David Thompson, really, because I really got to credit him with being one of my biggest mentors out there as far as landscape photography. Like I learned so much from that dude. Yeah, he's solid. Oh, yeah. Man, I still remember the day that I met him. I don't know if you want to hear this story here. I think you should tell it. Well, um, I got in touch with him because he posted this picture from White Pocket. And then I was like, man, one of these days I really want to get there. And then he just like commented, like, let's do it. So, you know. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And then I was just like, okay, let's do it. So we plan, and it must have been like a week or two later. And so he gave me his address. And at that point, I've never really um, met up with any other photographers because, well, I think maybe one or two, but nothing really serious. Yeah. And, you know, your parents tell you don't talk to strangers and all that shit. Yeah, I mean, stranger but, danger, it's real. <laughs> yeah. So I go to Vegas and, you know, I go to his house and then he comes up. And he shows up in his company car. He's all suited up. He's got his tie and shit and, you know, all looking sharp. And then he's like, yeah, give me 10 minutes and I'll get my stuff ready. So I'm like, cool. We hit the road and not even 10 minutes later, he's like, by the way, just to let you know, I have a firearm on me. I have a concealed carry license. I use this for my job. <laughs> I was like, I was like, um, okay, like, I don't really know I how I feel myself, about this. What did I just get myself into? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't really know how I feel about this because, you know, I'm cool with firearms and everything. I'm pretty competent with them, but you know, I just met this guy and he's telling me that yeah, we're going off into the desert, just the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna carry a weapon with me, buddy. Yep. I'm like, uh, okay, and then you know, he's like, well, just in case we get pulled over. Just so you know. And then I'm like, okay. And sure enough, we did get pulled over in the middle of Utah, like somewhere. Oh, shit. And yeah, it was speeding. I was doing like down a hill. It was like 70 on a 60 or maybe 75 on a 60. Right. And literally, it was like five minutes before another car showed up. But of course, I got a ticket for it because, you know, I'm endangering other vehicles. Yeah, it's not safe to drive that fast. Yeah. So, yeah. And that was the start of it. And it was a great trip. I mean, we hit up a bunch of stuff. He took me to uh, Pariah and then we went to Bryce and we're walking around like knee deep snow. It was like right after a storm. Oh, man. And then we'd hit a bunch of slot canyons in Escalante. And that really opened my eyes to the Southwest because before that, you know, I I just did a few off-roading trips to like Death Valley and stuff. Right. But seeing the southwest was just like mind-blowing and then it really opened my eyes to all the possibilities out there and i was just like yeah this is the kind of shit that i want to be shooting man and so yeah i was just hooked on the southwest and going forward from there i was going out almost every every opportunity even if it is just like a three-day weekend and at the time i had my schedule so that i could be off every other weekend so every other weekend i was out and then i'd be like hitting up david like hey i'm going out again hey i'm going out again hey yeah, that's out again. sweet i need but, i need to find someone yeah. like that they uh, <laughs> can get me out of my job <laughs> oh man yeah right but dude you're right there i mean i know this tie is right there and that's like one of my favorite places in the world yeah i went and, there yes. two weeks ago actually yeah i saw that i saw that you got some good stuff on there that was really cool and i was really glad you were able to see it in person yeah, it's the third time I've been down there, but um, really, it's so close. Like you said, I don't. I should probably go mm-hmm. more. <laughs> it's a pretty cool place. Oh, dude, 
if I lived as close as you did, <laughs> I don't know. Mitch would never see. Well, she'd be with me, but I would never be home. I'd be over there all the time. Right. Well, I have a lot of other interests too, so that's my problem. That's true. I, I, like, I like too many things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got a lot of things that are distracting me these days as well. But you know what? I think that's pretty healthy to you know diversify your hobbies and stuff. Agree. So, yeah. so, so do you? So you see photography um, purely as a as a hobby and something that you just enjoy to go out and do? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't really see it at this point in time as something I push beyond that because you know it's just so, something to unwind, something to get into my. I guess my happy place uh-huh. in a sense, <clears throat> and I think that's kind of what keeps me pushing myself to you know keep on finding things that are different and you know just really shoot for myself because I really don't have any motivation to please anybody but myself and you know that's part of the reason I still don't have a website up. Lazy bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're lazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just curious though because. Um... How do you stay motivated to to keep doing it if um, if you're not doing it for anything other than yourself? And I know that probably sounds like a yeah. circular question. Yeah, cliche, huh? It, but um, I don't know. I mean, landscape photography can be um, it can be frustrating. <laughs> it can be tedious. Um, I mean, it's not always like rainbows and puppy dogs and sunrises and sunsets. I mean, there's I'm sure you've gone out and like had times where mm-hmm. the clouds were didn't do what you thought they would do or like it just rained the whole time or yeah or whatever yeah. so i mean i'm assuming like it's more than just a hobby for you like it's a deeper oh, yeah. personal connection or yeah i think yeah yeah, yeah. There's, there's definitely a lot of that well one of it is like it's not just the photos that really drive me you know what i mean because at the end of the day the photo is just like the end result right sure it's the challenge that really turns me on i mean the process of finding your compositions and then um trying to get to the right place at the right time and just trying to get your mindset there and just being out in the wilderness that's just something that i just love it you know what i mean especially remote landscapes like i can't really shoot when there's a lot of other people around. So I was kind of iffy even when we went to um, Hunts Mesa back in May. Because yeah. I was like, man, I'm going to be hanging out with seven people. That's a lot of people for me. Me, as, me too. As, yeah, as far as shooting. Because usually I'd go out with only like one or two people or myself. And, you know, that state of being alone in the wilderness, that's really what I go after. You know, just the desolation and the silence and all that and just feeling like you're in a wide open space like i i really like that feeling of being small and being vulnerable in a huge wilderness because you know it just makes you feel so alive and i know you can understand that especially you because you climb a lot of mountains and stuff and probably even more so like when we're backpacking the same thing you know yeah i mean i mean i think i've talked about this before but it's funny Mm -hmm. like like when I'm uh, in the in town or at home or at yeah. work, like I'm really an extrovert. Like I talk to people. I like to be around a lot of uh-huh. people. But when I'm in the yep. wilderness, I uh, <laughs> if there's more than like two other people, I'm like I'm in, I'm grumpy. <laughs> yeah, you're like I hate people. Yeah, I'm Get like away from me. It's just I didn't come here to be around people. Go away. It's just a weird exactly. <clears throat> it's a weird uh, thing. I can't even really describe it yeah yeah but there is something it's about... like you go out there you want you want to be by yourself it's like your your you time like yes and it's also yeah. like um I, I think there's some interesting advantages and disadvantages to shooting by yourself mm-hmm. versus shooting with like one or two other people because i find absolutely i find that when i shoot by myself i've i find myself um more challenged in terms of trying to find mm-hmm. an interesting composition or or just yeah, just yeah. try to connect with the scene that I'm at versus when I'm with yep. a lot of other people I feel like oh, yeah. it's like I my mind isn't as creative when there's other people around me for some reason I, I don't know Yeah but, absolutely and that's why uh, I kind of only choose to shoot with certain people like I'll go out with David and of course uh Mitch my wife 
and maybe a couple of other people here and there because the people that I shoot with, we tend not to shoot together. Like we'll be together going there, but when we get to a location, we'll just all disappear and go to our own happy places. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. Like um, sometimes if David and, <clears throat> and I go shoot or with Mitch and everything, we'll go shoot and then it's like, okay, we're here and then we won't see each other again for maybe another hour and a half because we all respect each other's space, you know? We don't, uh, I don't like shooting with people that are like tripod humpers. Right. And <laughs> A tripod hogger? And, but, you know, sometimes you can't help it. There's some locations where it's an iconic spot or um, like, let's say a couple of weeks ago, we went backpacking and we're on this on the summit of this ridge and there's really no other space you know there's only like 10 feet of space where you can actually stand and there's only one direction you can shoot so stuff like that i can understand slot canyons are the same thing where it's so cramped like yeah you're going to be humping each other's tripods but other than that yeah when we go shoot other places we'll just all disappear on our own and i think when you're by yourself, it really helps you to dive deep down into your own feelings and your emotions. And like you said, um, it helps you connect with the scenes better. And I think that's why I like the desert a lot, because it really allows you to do that where, you know, I'm not distracted. It's just me and the whole wide wilderness out there. You can see the skies and, and the landscapes. And at the same time, I, I like it because you're not limited by trails. Because when you're out in the desert, you don't you're not restricted by tra trails a lot you know what i mean yeah man i totally know what you're talking about like having you know like when i like that's one of the cool things about mm -hmm. Bistai. like there is no trails like you just yeah. go out there and it's like it's wide open like the whole place is just like a giant canvas yep, for you yep. to explore with your camera that's like, so cool and, it, and there's not a lot of people there either which is really cool yeah. like it's and if you if you do run into people it's very rare right I've, every time I've gone out there, yeah, it's you, been... You can like spot them from very, a mile away and then be like, okay, I'm going to walk this other direction. <laughs> exactly. Well, and usually they don't try to get up and into yeah. your scene either. Like, it's... Because what people don't probably know about Bistai is, like, a lot of those hoodoos are actually kind of yep. small. So, like, shooting them is actually kind of... You have to get really close and get, like, these really interesting angles. And yeah, it's really hard. And <clears throat> one of the things I learned from my first time there is it doesn't really lend itself to ultra-wide a lot. And so I ended up um, really studying a lot of Cecil Witt's work because, you know, yeah, he's, like, yeah. old man of the Badlands. And I love that guy. <laughs> Dude, I love Cecil. He's such a cool guy. But... Uh, Dude, I love that you just called him the old man of the Badlands. <laughs> That's going to be his name from now on. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But, uh, is, that, is, that, is that something we could use an acronym on? O-M-B-L. <laughs> old man of the Badlands. O-M-B-L. <laughs> oh, man. Cecil, so if anyway. you're listening, that's you from now on, dude. O-M-B-L. What up, buddy? <laughs> But yeah, um, <laughs> I remember when we met Cecil for the first time. Um, here's another story. It was, if you're willing to hear it. So yeah, this was absolutely. back in 2013. Um, so David, myself, and Miles, Miles Morgan, we all planned to go down to Bistai. Yeah. And then so we go out there. And I think David had hit up Cecil like, hey, we might be down there. And he's like, oh, I might be down there too. And so we get over there and then we're shooting sunrise and then I see this old dude. Well, he didn't seem he, seemed, he didn't seem that old because man, I'll tell you like Cecil, he'll be he'll be smoking his cigarettes but he'll be out there just you know, he's like really nimble on on the badlands or on the desert, you know, there's no trails out there or nothing. But he just comes prancing along with his tripod. You know, he's just carrying his... It's a big <laughs> tripod, too. It's one of those heavy, old-school ones. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, he's... We're like, are you Cecil? And he's like, yeah, that's me. And so we go and start hanging out after shooting Sunrise. And dude is, like, the the coolest guy. Like, he, he he's the kind of guy that you wish was your grandfather or something. <laughs> no, he's so cool. <laughs> Oh my god! And 
Oh yeah, well I had yeah, him on the podcast. Yeah, and that was really great that you got him on there. Yeah, I was yeah. really happy to listen to him, but yeah, he only shoots yeah. with like a twenty-four to seventy. He just carries around his big old uh, Canon. I don't know. I think he's running what a five DSR now or something like that. Like he finally upgraded. I have, I have no but idea. But he only uses one lens, so uh, it makes sense huh. like why a lot of his sh- uh, his shots look the way they do because you know he he uses that mid um, focal length, and so he doesn't do any ultra wides right. or tellies or that. So yeah, we started looking at his stuff, and we're like, you know what, that makes sense, and really. It's something that I think a lot of people should really pay attention to is like instead of forcing the landscape into whatever it is you think it should be, you could you should let the landscape dictate what lens you should use. I don't know if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Mm. It does. It uh, and does, like yeah. you know, like I just said with Bistai, it doesn't lend itself to a lot of ultra wide because everything just looks really wonky and weird. But when we started shooting it with a mid uh, mid focal length then we were starting to do some damage in that place and you know really come up with some cool comps yeah the first time i went there i was shooting exclusively at like 14 to 24 Ooh. but i was doing it was all uh, night stuff, that makes so more sense because like, you're you're know. shooting for the sky you're you want to get more of that yeah but <clears throat> but this last time i went almost all my shots were either at like 55 or yeah, 70 to yeah. 2. And and you were shooting the big hoodoos over there in the backside too. So I think ultra wide works there. Uh, yeah, yep. it was. It did. Yeah, yeah. But I was like really <laughs> close to them too. So it makes them look like yeah, really yeah. big. That was some cool stuff. Yeah, I saw the one where you did the star trails. That's the dedication right there, man. It gets cold out there. It was <laughs> freezing. <laughs> It was definitely oh, yeah. cold. <laughs> um, so uh, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, so so since you're you know just shooting for yourself, you don't even have yep. a website up. Um, what is the role of social media f- for someone like you? Oh well, you know, social media is kind of like one of the things that it got me in there in the first place because you know it connected me to David and a lot of other guys that I enjoy. And back then, probably like around oh nine or and 2010 it really provided a lot of inspiration and it is really cool i kind of see that as like i don't know the golden age of landscape photography in the sense because every everything was new you know what i mean i don't know if you remember that like yes. everything was fresh you were seeing all these places for the first time all these comps and everybody was striking out on their own and trying to find stuff so in that sense you know <clears throat> social media provided a really great outlet for inspiration and nowadays, yeah, we still connect with a lot of people through social media and all that. But it's not really because, you know, since I'm just doing it for myself, it's not really like what other people would do or they're using it as a marketing tool or they're using it to promote themselves. For me, it's, right. it's mainly social, even though I'm antisocial when it comes to shooting. <laughs> but <laughs> all right yeah no, i know what you mean i mean that's what it used to be for me is like following people that yeah. i found uh like i enjoyed their work or or like i wanted to learn yeah, something yeah. or like see locations that yeah. i had never seen before and stuff so, like that yeah um, oh no i was just gonna say like for me like social media is kind of a double-edged sword yep. like um it's good for that stuff, but like the self promotion stuff is just so rampant. Like I don't yeah. like it. I I don't I don't know if anyone actually likes promoting <laughs> themselves very much. If you do, you're probably kind of a little weird <laughs> or egotistical or something. I don't know. Like well, I don't maybe think, for the guys that are pros, especially as an artist, you know, it's I kind guess. of a necessary evil, especially if you're doing it as a um, as your job. You know what I mean? Like you have to promote, and I understand that. But if you're not one of those guys whose you know primary income is photography then i guess yeah you might say it's kind of weird but yeah like you said about being a double-edged sword i was kind of going into that where i don't know if it's just because you know i've gotten old or things have changed with social media i don't i don't know but it seems like uh social media has kind of evolved in a way that may not be to my liking I don't know, you, you, hmm. you know what I mean? 
Um, it, I, I do know what you mean. Like, cause I've, um, I've felt that way about social media myself, but what I noticed was, um, a lot of that had to do with my own, um, I guess you could say issues. <laughs> like, like if you use, if you look at social media and you use it to like constantly compare yeah. yourself to other people or, 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 cause it's, it's also really easy to get caught up in the sure, negative spin sure. that, that, that happens uh-huh. out there. Like, like talking uh-huh. shit about another photographer, yep. like you see it happen oh, all absolutely. the time. Um, and yeah. I've even done it. Like it's, there's a lot of drama out there and it becomes like high school. Yeah, for sure. And I've, I've found, I found that if the, the less I, the less I pay attention or even prescribe to any yeah. of that stuff, the better social media. Yeah, I can, I can agree with that. Like when I just stick to a certain group of people, like, okay, I'm going to just ignore all the noise and just stick to the people I know, then it's great. And it's a good way to, you know, keep in touch with friends. Cause like, I gotta admit because of social media, most of my closest friends are like people that are far away. You know what I mean? Right. But I think the other thing for me is, you know, you can't help but notice trends and what people are doing. And like I said, back in the early days, it's like everybody was trying to strike out for themselves and find new stuff and really develop their craft in a way. But then I started to notice a shift because, you know, end of the day, I'm not really doing this for profit or to compete with anybody. So social media was a way to be inspired. And I really want to be inspired. And back then, it was everywhere. Like every time I look on there, there's something new. And then I'm like, oh, man, that looks so cool. I want to go out and shoot, not necessarily shoot the same thing. But I just want to go out and shoot because these people are getting me fired up that I want to go shoot something. You know what I mean? I do, I do. But, um, it's also easy to get like, at mm-hmm. least for me, like having, cause you know, we're similar. We both have a wife yep. and full-time jobs. So like sometimes, uh, social media can make it seem like your life sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, which I think there's actually some research that's been done yeah. that people that use social media on a daily yeah. basis, um, cause people only, usually they only put like the best of themselves oh, yeah. out there. Like photographers aren't posting their worst yeah. photos on social media like they're only posting their best work mm-hmm. usually so it, so it always makes it feel like people are doing cooler exciting stuff. things 24 7 when really yeah they're not. really and i think that's where it's important to um re- really do some introspection and figure out what it is that you want and who it is and who you are as a person because otherwise yeah you're going to fall into that trap where you're just following other people and they're like man everybody's life is great except for me you know but, but <laughs> exactly like oh my life yeah. is so boring because i and, only uh, last time i shot was yeah, two weeks ago yeah. and that person just posted like 30 images of 40 yep. different locations and, and that's why it's good to that. diversify your interests and really you know have a fallback where um landscape photography or whatever it is that you follow on social media isn't your life because you're going to be like oh everybody's got van life and my life sucks and you know everybody's got a selfie at this place except for me but (laughs) (laughs) well no it's fun i don't know i think it's important to take break uh uh, from photography i mean because like well probably Mm -hmm. social media too but um i look back at like my lightroom catalog and there's been times where I'll go two or three months without taking a yep, photo yep. and that's, it's fine. Oh, absolutely. Like, it's, you don't have to be out shooting 24 seven. Like I feel like the people that maybe mm-hmm. this is just my judgment or whatever, but people that are out there shooting yeah. that much, like I always wonder like, is that really enjoyable for them? You or like do they burnout, have a personality right? disorder? <laughs> or, like, yeah. like what is that about? Cause it, super obsessive yeah but you know i can understand if that's their job then you know they're supposed to be out there doing it 24 7 but yeah it's a good thing you touched up on that because i do notice like like i said where i'm noticing different trends is that there's a kind of trend where people are out a lot but um i guess they're not really it's more like stamp collecting as is now the popular term you know, it used to be comp stomping, right. now it's stamp collecting. 
I guess the two are still both used interchangeably. But like I was saying earlier, I'm not just like, uh, I'm not a photographer per se, but I'm also a consumer of photography. And so I also like to go online to look at photos to be inspired. And I'm just not really getting that as much as I used to because I'm seeing trends where it's like, okay, I, I look at somebody's profile and it's like, oh, this guy might have some cool stuff. But then you go on there and then the entire portfolio is, I guess, a combination of different people's shots, like people that I know. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, oh, yeah. I've seen yeah. this comp, this guy shot it. Oh, here's a Mark Adams shot. Oh, here's an Alex Noriega shot. Or he's a, here's a shot from uh, Ted. And they're all kind of in these people's portfolios. And you'll see multiple people that they all have the same portfolios. And so that wasn't that didn't used to be the thing and you know people are probably gonna be like well you're an asshole paul for saying all that you know why did you just let people do what they do and it's like well you know fine do what you want to do but end of the day i'm that's my perspective coming as a consumer that i'm viewing people's work and if all i'm seeing is other people's work in all packed into a single portfolio then i guess how do i respect that which is why when it comes to the guys that are really follow you'll notice that they all have their own work they're they're all doing their own thing you know and yeah. i'm seeing i'm really admiring a lot of european photographers these days because <clears throat> they seem to be doing their own thing and there's quite a few here in the u.s that i i still admire and you know um i'm not saying that all people are like that it's just here and there sure so well i mean that's i'm glad you touched on that because uh kane and i actually talked about that a little bit last Ooh. night um i asked him a question because we were, we were talking about the same kind of topic uh -huh. about um like everyone's stuff looking the same or people shooting um like just to have these trophy shots yep. and the question i asked him was would you rather have an image that that sold a shitload of prints uh -huh. Or would you rather have an image that you know no one else has? Hmm. Well, what did he have to say about that? Well, yeah. Uh, I, I think he, he and I fall into the same boat where yeah. we would rather have an image that like no one else has. Like it's yep. not about selling prints or whatever. But yep. um, I think I'm curious what are your thoughts on that? Because I think a lot of people are shooting these iconic locations because they know it'll sell prints it'll or sell. they think it'll look good in their portfolio mm -hmm. or whatever. And well, I guess so it all comes think? down to motivation. I mean, I can understand, you know, like I said, uh, people shoot for different reasons. And if your motivation is to make money off of it, then I can completely understand because, you know, you, you want to be able to sell prints. And, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that we shoot that's different or original it's not necessarily going to connect with everybody. Um, I know Nolan talked about this on the, the previous podcast where he's like, you know, what photographers like and what um, the general public likes is are complete, two completely different things. So, right. yeah, if your motivation is to go sell stuff, then that's fine. But if your motivation is to kind of, if you're, if you're out there just doing a bunch of stamp collecting or trophy shot collecting, and you're not even doing it for money or, you know, trying to make it as a side business or whatever. You're just doing it to kind of build fame. I don't know if that necessarily works. Right. Because it's like, like but I, I said, like, like as a, a lot. yeah, well, like I said, as a consumer, it's not working on me. You know what I mean? But maybe because right. I'm kind of more of an informed consumer where I've seen a lot of places. But I feel like there's a lot of people that are like they're not out there because the photo is going to sell anything. Yeah, um, they're doing it for a different motivation. Yeah. Like whether that's to say that they have that epic shot of mm -hmm. Mesa Arch or whatever. Like, yeah. Um, but for me, like, I'm not trophy hunting. Like, yeah. I my motivation is to connect to the wilderness and to have exactly. a perspective or a composition that speaks to me yeah, yeah that i find interesting that 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 and honestly like i don't know maybe i'm just kind of a weird elitist or something <laughs> but, like, well maybe that makes two I, of us or three of us 
I kind of take pride in having images that like no one else really has. Like, yep, exactly. Um, where, and 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 like most a lot of the photos that I have that are, you know, that it's the same composition that everyone else has. Like mm-hmm. those images usually don't speak to me very much. Yeah, yeah, um, I completely understand that. Like, yeah, like you said, it's like you want something that's true to yourself that you know that you found by yourself, and you know you're in a moment of inspiration. And right. you're able to see this without anybody else saying like, "Hey, shoot this or put your tripod here," you know. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> or you're following a screenshot and be like, "He must have put his tripod right here." <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's funny though. So many people out there are after that iconic shot. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to um to. Josh Snow about this the other day because mm-hmm. I was give I was giving him some shit on mm-hmm. Facebook about his clients paying him to to drive to have him drive them to the Maroon Bells yeah. parking lot to shoot the oh, Maroon wow. Bells like like wow. first of all you don't need to pay someone to know where that parking lot is like <laughs> I think it's just interesting that people are willing to shell out a bunch of money mm-hmm. to like be spoon fed what photos they should get like i don't understand that yeah i mean i've been thinking about that a lot too because it's like for me it's like i'm paying somebody to deprive me of the experience of experiencing a place for myself or of finding something for myself you know what i mean yes because it's like that's the that's the that's the driving factor for me is like i want to if i'm going to find a shot I want to have that experience of finding it and learning what it is that I did to get that cool shot. But if somebody else is telling me or, you know, driving me around and everything, then I'm depriving myself of that opportunity. Right. It's almost like paying someone to eat your dinner. Yeah. At a nice <laughs> <Absolutely. restaurant. laughs> yeah. But I guess if, uh, I mean, I don't know. I think there's just different people have a different uh, desire like, cause That's Josh true. is telling me, he's like, well, for these people, they've never been anywhere like this in their life. And so That's true. Uh, for them, it is a special moment. And yeah, I guess I could yeah. see that, but uh, I don't yeah. know, like for me, I don't need to pay someone to tell me like where to put my tripod. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just, you know, different um, personality types. You know, some people want to learn the hard way, like. Us, I guess, and then you know, some people they have their vacation time and they want to enjoy every moment of it and not have to go through the frustration, or of you know, having failed attempts or going through shitty conditions just to find one shot. You know what I mean? They just want to right. maximize their time, and you know, uh, I, I can I respect can appreciate that. that. Yeah, <laughs> I can yeah. appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like uh, when Mitch and I went to Iceland last year. We were there for ten days, and we were just finding stuff on our own we didn't get the best stuff and we didn't have the greatest conditions but you know what we had the greatest time and for me yeah. that is more important than getting a shot of Kirky Fett and right you know. right 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 yeah no I'm 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 excited I'm going to Iceland in March oh dude are you that's awesome yeah yeah, yeah. Man. I've never been there I'm excited so. for you Dude, yeah, there's so much stuff out there too. Like, I was amazed at first. We were kind of like, uh, you know, is it just going to be all the stuff that we already see? But then once we head out there, like, man, there's so much shit out here. And right. if you have take the opportunity to go off the highway, like we we rented a four wheel drive, so we were able to actually explore some stuff. You'll find so much shit out there, and you'll be amazed at how little people you, how few people you'll see. Like, you'll think that, oh, there's going to be millions of photographers everywhere. And I think we barely saw any. Huh. When did yeah. you go? I mean, um, we went, uh, it was sometime in the fall. Okay. I forgot when. But, yeah, um, you know, there's going to be places where there's going to be a ton of photographers. The Ice Beach, of course, you know, Yokel Sarlin and all that. Some of the uh, more yeah. iconic spots, you're going to see lots of people. But For other sure. than that, the rest of the time, man, it was it was a great experience. You can just go off the grid and not see anybody. Or if you do, they're just other hikers or whatever. That's cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm excited for you. Uh, thanks, man. Uh, so another 
uh, topic I wanted to talk about, um, which I talked about um, on my podcast last mm-hmm. night with Kane, but um, I had uh, received a letter um, and a USB drive from another mm-hmm. photographer um, named Eric Stensland. Um, okay. He's in he's in Estes Park, um, and he's mm-hmm. friends with uh, Sarah Marino. Oh, cool! And and he um, had worked with Sarah Marino to kind of spearhead an initiative to mm-hmm. to try to get some gain some uh, I guess gain some momentum with professional landscape photographers mm-hmm. to um, create and stand by a set of best practices for. Um, for landscape photographers and um, minimalizing our impact on locations and the environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, uh, I was really surprised to hear that apparently a lot of the people that they reached out to, like big names in the industry, uh-huh. uh, weren't willing to um, to do that. Uh, really? Because they felt like, yeah, they felt like it was too limiting on uh-huh. like their 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 business or whatever like they didn't want to hold themselves to a, to that standard uh, to a standard yeah what so is, I was, I, that's that sounds kind of lame what you, yeah what do you, what do you think <laughs> about about that idea of um of of landscape photographers like uh i don't know like subscribing to a set of best practices well, like what are we talking about you know i mean what are some examples of this i mean i can well, kind of see where I it's going and it's yeah it sounds cool but what specifically i don't I don't know that they actually had any specifics. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think you know some some things for me come to mind, like adhering to leave no trace, or yeah, or like making sure that the people that you're taking out in workshops um, have an appreciation for the fragility of the yeah. landscape yeah. Or, or whatever. But um, I don't think they actually got that far yet. Um, I don't see why that should be a big problem. I mean, I would think that those are just kind of common sense stuff that. You know, and it's so easy to do too, where you're just, you could be heading to a location or going someplace and be briefing people about the wilderness at the same time, you know? I mean, does it really take too much effort if that's already something that you know? If you already adhere to these values, like leave no trace and briefing people on certain locations, then it should be a no brainer to be able to explain it to people like, hey, you know, um, we're going to this kind of place. These are the things that you should be looking out for. You know what I mean? I mean, we're going out into the wilderness. It almost seems like if you're not, if you don't want to adhere to these standards, it's because you only care about business as usual. You know what I mean? And you're not, right. you don't really, res- if I found out somebody didn't want that, I would think that, oh, they probably don't even respect the wilderness that much. And it's just a source of income for them, which, you know, uh, that's kind of shitty. <laughs> To be honest. Well, there's a lot of people that depend on um, taking people into the national parks or mm-hmm. whatever. They depend on that for their livelihood. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I think at some point, you know, it kind of comes down to like, what's a responsible business person yeah. going to adhere to? Because honestly, like if they, I feel like, and maybe this is my opinion mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. I'm not even political. It's just fact. Like yeah. if... If you don't care about the impact you're having on these locations, yeah. then eventually those locations will no longer be desirable to shoot. Well, yeah. I mean, you can look at <laughs> Death Valley, and there's places that I no longer go to because they look like complete shit, honestly, like uh, yeah. Cotton Ball Basin. I remember way back when, I think I hit out there 2011, and it looked great. It is easier to find compositions and all that stuff. And now you go over there and it's like all footprints. I mean, I haven't been there in like a year or two because of that, where it's all just footprints everywhere. And, you know, uh, it's not really harming the environment per se, because, you know, it's like mud or salt and all that. But as yeah, far right. as like sustaining your livelihood, if you want to keep continuing to take people there, then why are you going to go there in a, and trash the place basically so that you can't take them take people there in the future you know what i mean right yeah no that's how i feel yeah too. and then um, same thing with like places where it's like waterfalls or riverbanks where you're just ruining all the fauna at the edge of the of the rivers and stuff like that right yeah i yeah, know exactly well i'm glad you agree 
I don't know. I, I think it's because when it came to going out into the wilderness, that kind of came, well, you know, the, the photography drove the interest in the wilderness. But then once you get to the wilderness part, you got to learn about it. You got to kind of set the photography part aside and be like, oh, you know, because when I go out, I kind of see myself more as a guest in the wilderness. So it's like you right. don't go into somebody's house and then put mud all over the place. So true, yeah, you true, gotta true, you gotta true. respect you gotta respect it. It's not like <laughs> I guess my approach isn't like oh I'm big badass and I'm gonna go conquer the wilderness. It's more like here I'm submitting myself to the mercy of the wilderness. Right. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's I I think the more and more commercialized the landscape becomes, I think the less and less people are going to want to adhere to some sort of standard well it just comes down to like really briefing people because like you said not everybody a lot of people it's their first time to be in the wilderness and they don't right they only have a limited amount of time but i think it's only best practice to really make people appreciate what's going on no i agree yeah um, all right, so a couple more topics. Um, so cool. I've, I'm starting to ask people a new question. Right. Um, and I know it's kind of a, it's not a typical question I ask, but um, I think it, it has, it could be fun. So, all right, let's see. Um, so when you go out into um, the wilderness to take photos, mm-hmm. What is like the one thing other than your camera? It could be a lens, it could be a certain type of tripod mm-hmm. or whatever. Like what is one thing that like you absolutely have to have with you at all times? Like otherwise you know that your experience won't be as good. Huh. <laughs> yeah, cuz well, as far as that, that's the mid 2470. Like I really Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things is like Back then, when I was starting off, it is uh, everybody tells you to get an ultra wide, slap that ultra wide on, and basically like super glue it on there if you can. But <laughs> <laughs> but over time, I started to appreciate a lot of these old school photographers, and yeah. you know a lot of the old school guys they did more like a normal perspective, and I found that it was a lot more challenging to shoot in that perspective, and I really enjoyed the way photos look when it's more of a mid zoom rather than an ultra wide, you know. Because, and, you know, although ultra-wide does lend itself to a lot of situations, I feel like in some situations, ultra-wide can be kind of a crutch in a way where it's like, oh, uh, I got nothing else I can shoot. So let me put this ultra-wide and see if I can do a face plant on the ground and find something interesting. You know, because some of the the shots, it's like inches from the ground, but, and it looks kind of cool. But when I look at my shots of that, I feel like I'm rubbing my nose in the dirt in a way you know what i mean like i don't like the way it looks i do like man i I look like i'm licking the dirt because i'm so close to the ground (laughs) or i did a face plant and like oh i tripped on myself and fell on the ground and oh i'll just put my camera here but uh, well i definitely feel like that that low to the ground ultra wide look mm -hmm. was super popular for about a year there yeah yeah because um, that's like all you would see on 500px <laughs> was like a super wide angle like wildflower yep. in the yep. foreground but with like mountains in the in the distance yep. or something yeah like and, that. and it really lends itself to those kind of scenes and i still use my ultra wide a lot when the scene uh dictates it but like i said you gotta let the landscape dictate what it is you're shooting or how you shoot it you know what i mean like it can't yeah. be a yeah, one yeah. size fits all technique for every single landscape. Like some some scenes lend themselves more to a telephoto, and some scenes lend themselves to a mid or ultra wide. And it's just being able to recognize. No, I like that. that. You know? I like the idea of letting the landscape dictate yep. what lens to use versus having the lens dictate. What yeah, you I and smart. I think it makes it so that yeah. You know, um, your scenes or your shots come out a lot more varied and you can really get a better sense of place when you do it that way versus just having this um, idea in your mind that everything has to fit into this kind of method of shooting. And yeah, like I said, right. a lot of the old school shooters, they shot in a normal perspective and I just loved um, the stuff that they did. You know, 
Right. So um, you've listened to the yep. podcast several times, I'm sure. So uh, I know you know what's coming next. Oh, no. What? Uh, <laughs> oh, no. What, what advice do you have for other photographers uh, based on the title of the podcast, uh, F Stop, Collaborate, and Listen? So I guess do we break that down into stop, collaborate, and listen? Well, I guess on the stop portion. It's totally, okay. Up, okay. totally up to you. Man. I guess when it comes, let's say stop, when I think about that, it's like, you know, take some time to do some introspection, I guess, and really figure out what it is that you want out of photography, you know? I mean, is it really landscapes that draw you in? And why is it that you like landscapes? Why, what are you shooting for? Because like we said, there's going to be different motivations. And that kind of leads into the next one is the collaborate part. Like when I think of the different motivations, it's like, well, are you doing it because you want to make a business out of it? Are you doing it just for the creativity side? Or are you doing it because of the adventure or the um, create or whatever? And when you figure that out, then you'll really know who to reach out to, to collaborate, you know, like if you're doing it from mm. a business standpoint, yeah. then you're going to reach out to people that are, you know, guys like Nolan who are into the gallery thing or selling prints, then you're going to gravitate towards those guys. Or if you're just doing it as a hobby, you're probably going to reach out to more hobbyists or the guys who are going to help you develop your craft and listen yeah just pay attention to what uh, people are saying like whoever your mentor is find that mentor and really pay attention because end of the day like you were saying if you think you're already the badass or you think you're a master then that's when you stop developing in a sense so yeah you always gotta uh, keep yourself open to learning and I think one of the greatest things that I learned is also to not be afraid to fail, you know? And I think, right. <laughs> honestly, because I think if I was afraid to fail, then I would always be going for the trophy shot because it's like, oh, I got to come home from a trip with something. And if I wasn't willing to risk not coming home with anything, I'd just be going for the sure deal. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah so, totally. Yeah, don't be afraid to I, fail. I took that. I took... I love that. I, I, I actually... <laughs> When I did my fall colors trip, um, I I had scouted uh, on mm-hmm. just on the map. Like I didn't like physically go, but on the map I was like, I saw this trail that went up the side of this yeah. like cliff, basically up above Silverjack mm-hmm. Reservoir. But I wasn't sure if I'd ever get um, a vantage point that I was looking for across the valley to, over to the mountains and the and the fall colors yeah. that I wanted to shoot. And then I was at the trailhead getting ready to like start mm-hmm. to go just to check it out. And I ran into this guy and he was like, oh, yeah, that trail, it never opens up. Mm-hmm. I tried it last year. Don't waste your time. And I was like, oh, that yeah. sucks. And then I was like, you know what? I'm not going <laughs> to believe that guy. I'm just like, like worst case scenario, I'm just going to get yeah, some exercise yeah, out exactly. of this. So I went for it. And sure enough, like he just oh, didn't go man. far enough. Like. And I, I, you know, it was a pretty long hike and oh, really it? far up in there. But once I got to this one spot, like it opened up and oh, it was shit. amazing. Like it was a vantage point that I've never seen yeah. anyone else shoot before. So I was like, that was like, to your point, yeah. like that's yeah. a risk. I could have gone up there totally and like skunked. found nothing. Like, yeah, maybe that's, yep. maybe that's advice too. Is like, don't believe other photographers. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's part of it, like like figuring things out for yourself, because ultimately, if you fail and learn from it, then it's going to make you a better person for it. You know, you'll you'll know for next time. Absolutely. Yeah, I kind of I think that mentality of willing to risk shots is really what's helped me a lot to be able to find shots. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. So, um before we go to mm-hmm. the last questions, you said you had a question or two for me. And I was uh, curious about what you were It was more about ask. backpacking, dude, because, you know, um, I've been into the backpacking thing. Okay. And um, uh, what's it called? When we came back from our last trip, my buddy Brandon and Mitch and I, we were all sitting down in the living room. And then we started stalking the hell out of you. Because so, <laughs> I know you do you do, you do, do the mountaineering <laughs> thing, you know? So we're like, how, how the fuck does this yeah. guy bring his camera gear up there? Because... 
you know, uh, we came back from just a two-nighter, and I was hauling 52 pounds. I think Brandon was around the same, and Mitch was doing about 38 pounds. So, yeah, so yeah, it's like, there, what is matter. your setup? I know you do some of the ultralight stuff. Like, when we were at Hans Mesa, you had that sleeping bag that weighed like a feather. Yeah, so um, I've got, yeah, so let's see. Mm-hmm. Last year, I decided... Okay, it's time to stop yeah. carrying so much weight. Like my <laughs> knees can't handle it. Um, like I live because I live really close to some of the best backpacking there is yep. in the United States. So, but it's all really yeah. steep and yeah. pretty long distance. So you have to like, um, it can't carry a lot yeah. of weight. And I've done it before, and it almost killed me a couple times. Like I left <laughs> part of my soul up on one of these places one year, yeah. a couple of years back. Like, so what I did was um. Uh, well, a buddy of mine, Todd, he mm-hmm. is super into ultralight uh, backpacking, and he's he's done the Je, the John Muir Trail, yeah. and he's done the he just did the Colorado Trail last year. So he got me into thinking about like thinking about how everything you mm-hmm. take has to have a purpose, and it might have to have yeah. two pur- two purposes. So I got a super light uh, sleeping bag, which weighs like nothing, yeah. but it yeah. goes down to like I saw that. fifteen degrees. It's a, it is uh, crazy. I got it from a, a company called Z-Packs. Um, okay, yeah, I've bought from them before. Yeah, really light. Um, and then I've got a, uh, it's like less than two pounds, but my, my pack, mm-hmm. I bought a new Osprey pack that's really light. Um, nice. It's a, uh, uh, what is it? I got it right here, actually. Uh, it's the Exos 48. Mm-hmm. So that's oh, the other wow. thing is um only forty eight liters. Nice. Yeah, so that's the other thing. Like if you take a sixty liter pack, you're gonna fill yeah. a sixty liter pack. So that's if you true. get a smaller pack, like it forces you to take less shit. Yeah, yeah. Even though like you're but like, then you, but then you really gotta you really gotta get gear that's small though. You do. Um, so then I also have a um, my tent is really small. It's it's mm-hmm. not a, it's not super expensive. It was an REI. Um, yeah single person tent like it's not that expensive and it weighs less than two pounds also Mm -hmm. and then i have a really light um sleeping pad um that's shorter it's shorter than me so what i do is i use my backpack Mm. um as my sleeping pad for my legs and that's part of the using tooth uh, using things for dual purpose exactly um and then like in terms of photography like i have a pretty lightweight tripod with a yeah. pretty lightweight yeah. ball head and then i switched yep. down to all my mirrorless stuff so and i'm only shooting primes for the most part so they're pretty light gotcha i um, think that was the hardest thing for me because just weighing my camera gear it was already about 18 pounds yep um i got <laughs> yeah because i was shooting the nikon trinity up until this yep. year and, and i still do and uh i got my stuff down i think i shaved like eight pounds off my gear just by switching over to sony yeah yeah because i weighed uh mitch's gear she's on the fuji mirrorless system oh yeah and with with the tripod it's eight pounds yep exactly (laughs) she's like seven pounds less than you man i mean that's seven pounds is a lot (laughs) it is a lot especially after all those miles yeah yeah, so, so so what's your weight at like when you go backpack out and i know you hike some long distances out there um like uh food water everything mm-hmm. i'm usually around 35 to 38 pounds oh man that's that's really manageable it's i mean and if i didn't have yeah. camera gear i'd yeah I'd be, I'd be under 30 for sure yeah for sure which would be yeah. nice but because i think I, you know maybe <laughs> the, the purpose i was thinking that's something that's kind of important for people to know about because you know, I think a lot of people would want to get into the backpacking thing just because there's so much stuff out there. But the, um, I guess, what do you call it? Um, the things you have to overcome just to get into it is really a lot, right? Well, I mean, you definitely, I mean, up until a couple of years ago, I was, I was doing the same thing you were. I was carrying 60 yeah. pounds. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it's like, you know, I was carrying a heavier fleece. Now I just carry a really lightweight puffy. Mm, um, gotcha. So it's like, it's thinking about yeah. all the different things. Like I used to carry a first aid kit, you know, like it was mm-hmm. an RAI first aid kit. So what I did is I took all the essential things from the first aid kit and I just yeah. put them in a plastic bag. 
And then, so like that shaved off an extra 12 ounces or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You just start thinking about like, what are the things that I can get rid of that I don't necessarily need to have all the time? Yep, yep. Yeah, because I think we're pretty down to bare bones, but it's just a matter of lightening up the gear itself. You know. Yeah, I mean? well, it definitely helps. <laughs> and, you know, I think a lot more people would be into backpacking if they knew the steps of getting into it because you know it's not uh, for a lot of people they have the benefit that their parents show them how to do it or they have the friend but it's kind of like myself i just kind of learned by the internet how to do backpacking and then i had sure. to suffer through it because it's like oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's not how i thought it was gonna be <laughs> yeah well um yeah there's a um i'll have to i'll put it in the liner notes but there was a really great book that my buddy lent me yeah um, about it um, that yeah. really helped me think about different ways to reduce weight um, yeah, so I'll put yeah. that I'll and, put that in the show notes and I think a lot of people would benefit because I know a lot of people want to get into backpacking but they just don't know the first steps to you know what to do you know yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's easier than you think I mean yeah yeah. I mean, once, once you get the hang of it it's pretty cool yeah 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 totally um, all right, man. So thanks for asking about backpacking because I could talk about that for like two hours. I know, so. man. <laughs> but then people well, are going to be like, it's become a gear podcast. I know. Like, we don't want to <laughs> talk about gear. Yeah. Um, so who who would you want to hear on the podcast? Who would I want to hear? Well, you know, there's quite a few people that I really like. Um, one of them is Emmanuel Coop. I don't know if you've ever heard about him. Hmm, so he's so. he's a Greek guy. Uh, he's a Greek photographer. And I know David t- turned me on to him uh, a few years ago. So Emmanuel Coop is a Greek photographer, and he does really amazing work. I mean, you should check it out. I'm really inspired by his stuff. And then um, how about John Mumau? I, I don't know if he'd be willing to get on there. I know that. He would be amazing because he has yeah. so many secret locations. Like... Yep, he's... He's like the gatekeeper of the Southwest. If uh, if Cecil is the old man of the Badlands, John is the gatekeeper. Yes. <laughs> and right. I know people have mentioned Hans Strand before. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, and I don't know if you could get Stefan and Isabel Sinachki on there. They're German. And they're okay. also like a bunch of explorers of the Southwest. I don't know if I butchered that name. If yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, there's this guy also. I would just recommend him for reading, not really to, not really to interview. But his name is Platon Rivellis, and he hmm. was actually Emmanuel Coop's teacher. And he's not a landscape photographer; he's just an art instructor, and he's Greek. But I would recommend his writings, I guess, for people to read up on. Because he has a Greek website, but he has some articles that are, he has some essays that are in English. And I got to tell you, it's very similar to Guy Tal. The, okay. the level of thinking in, and intellectualism in his writing is kind of like Guy Tal's. You know? So if you enjoy that awesome. kind of reading, you should really look yeah. up uh, this guy, Platon Rivellis. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, shit, dude, those are, that's a lot of awesome recommendations. I appreciate it. Cool, cool. <laughs> well Paul man, that was cool, finally man. we got it done. Even though we had to do this like three different recordings because yeah, we... my internet kept failing, but I appreciate you coming on. Man. Oh it's man, it fun. was fun, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Absolutely, and, dude. Yeah, hopefully I don't sound like too much an idiot in Evans, but you're such a dick. <laughs> Thank you.